in a church, maybe in particular this size, uh, it's a really, really significant thing. And uh, we need to be praying. We have a great slate of nominees. I hope you can see that. Um, and uh, we need now God to act. Uh, we need people who will be voting, the membership of the church, to take these names to God and to discern. I said before, it's not a competition. It's a discernment process. And we're inviting uh, all of you to really think that through and pray it through. Come to a place of, of knowing what uh, God feels uh, you would do. We're going to give you the opportunity to, to put three or check off three names on a ballot. So there'll be three people that you will have opportunity to vote for. And, uh, and then it'll be given to the elders for their discernment and, and ultimate decisions. So um, let's, let's focus there, uh, IPC. Let's be careful and thoughtful and uh, seek God in this. And uh, it's exciting where, where he's leading us. Um, last winter, I read uh, the novel Roots by Arthur Hilly. Anybody read the book? It's an old book. Uh, you know, I, it's been around for a long time. I would guess it was written in the 1970s um, about a, a young man, particularly uh, at the beginning, named Kunta Kinti. And uh, the book essentially describes his life in large measure at the beginning and then traces seven generations of his descendants who and a family that ultimately rose to some prominence in, 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 uh, in uh, the United States. But uh, it begins in a dismal way. Uh, no, that's not true. It becomes dismal. It, it begins in a, in a beautiful and remarkable way. Where this uh, young man's life is described, he grew up in a, in a village that was uh, dignified and had uh, you know, respectable traditions, and he was part of a respected family. He was destined for leadership. He was being educated toward it. Um, and one day, uh, when he was in the bush, he was captured by slave traders. And they bound him, and they took him to the coast of Africa, and he was put on a, on a, a ship to, to North America. And to call uh, this experience a living hell is not very extreme. It was an awful, awful thing that he and, of course, thousands and thousands of other people endured. He was shackled to the people on either side of him. He had to lie down flat uh, in a very small compartment. He wasn't, it wasn't big enough for him to sit up in. Um, he had to lie in his own excrement, and he had to endure the waste of people above him on these layers, dropping down onto him. It was an awful, awful thing. If anyone caused trouble, they were mercilessly beaten off and killed. Eventually, the ship arrived uh, off the coast of North America. He was brought ashore. He was sold to a plantation owner. In those days, plantation owners were far from caring or compassionate toward their slaves. And I imagine where slavery still occurs in this world, it's not much different. You would hope so, but um, this man was, this young man was a commodity and nothing more. Uh, he was worked very long hours, six days a week, uh, to serve the interests of his master, to make him money, essentially, to allow that operation to be productive. But being a man who believed in his own dignity, uh, Kunta Kinti refused to accept that this would be his life. So over the course of, of time, he tried to run away several times uh, to freedom, not knowing where he could go or how he would get there, but he just was not willing to live with this. It wasn't who he thought he was. And each time there would be, uh, and I don't have the term, it's, it escapes my mind right now, but professional paid slave catchers <laughs> who would chase him down with their dogs treating him like an animal, and they would, they would catch him, and they would beat him, and they would return him where he would be beaten again uh, and, and put to work. Well, the last time that he tried to do this, he was tracked down, and he, he was caught, 
And what uh, they did to him at that time was take an axe and chop off half of one of his feet so that he could never run away again. Um, just an unimaginable story of a man of dignity and of uh, understanding in life. We're in a series on identity. Uh, we've re- reversed essentially the question Jesus asked his disciples when he said, who do you think I am? Or who do people say that I am? And then who do you think I am? And we've reversed the question. We said, Lord Jesus, who do you think I am? Who are we in Christ? What is our identity in Jesus has formed the heart of this series that, that we are in and continues to. We want God to tell us who we are so that we can reject false identities, false understandings, incorrect understandings of who we are at the core. Very often those identities we have embraced and they only harm our lives and they diminish our lives in Christ and they keep us from knowing what God would have us know and being the people God would have us be because we live out of our understanding of identity. Here's my contention for you today. A lot of Christians believe themselves to be the slaves of God like Kunta Kinti. Um, you might sit back and say, oh, that's, not, that's not me. You know, I, I, I don't think that at all. I, I don't think God's like that. I don't think that's who I am. Can I ask you to think again? And to not go with what you, you know, your, your first thought is in this one, to think more deeply, to maybe even take the time to reflect and say, is there anything of this perspective in terms of who I am in me, in my mind, in my heart? Um, Because deep down, I think in the minds of some, and maybe to uh, some degree in the minds of many of us, there's a belief that God doesn't care that much about me personally. He cares a whole lot about my behavior, and he demands Uh, that I do what he wants to do in order to serve him and his purposes. But these things I don't want to do as much as they are forced upon me. But if I step out of line, I will be punished too. There's a day we're all going to stand before God. And the punishment may come if not beforehand. So when it comes to the issues of life, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, uh, you know, this push and pull way too often. You know, and the idea of, of our moral behavior, we're, we're to live a certain way, but, but, you know, I don't really want to do what God wants me to do. You know, I want to be able to act on my sexual desires outside marriage. I want to be able to live with someone before I get married. I want to, I want to, I want to. But, you know, on the other hand, there's a God in heaven, and I better do what's right, so I'll do it, but I'll do it grudgingly. Anybody live there at all, even a little bit? When it comes to the idea of being here on a Sunday morning to worship, you know, oh man, uh, I guess I'll come once in a while, I'll, I'll do it because I have to. <laughs> God says I must worship him, God says this is the right thing to do, and, and I suppose if, if that's what's necessary, I'll make it happen once in a while. Um, when it comes to, 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 to giving my money to God, um, well, you know, 10% is a lot of money, Chris, like tithing my resources um, that's, that's significant. And, and I believe in the church, and I think that what the church is doing is good, and yes, I'll give to God, but I'll do it in my way and only as much as I might need to, as little as possible in some instances. Um, when it comes to praying and reading my Bible, when it comes to that, that, that time of just setting aside those moments on a daily basis to be with God and to hear Him speak through this book, when it comes to that time when, when I can commune with him and really exercise and activate my relationship with the Lord Jesus. I know it's important, but I'm really busy. 
I got a lot on my plate. I just don't have time for that every day. So once in a while, maybe. When it comes to serving God, using my gifts to build a church, to, to expand the kingdom of God in this world, like, you know, Chris, do you know how much I have to do in life? Like, do you know how, do you know how busy I am? So yeah, I'll serve, and I'll serve here, and I'll serve there, but I don't know if I can really jump in. I don't know if I can, like, live for this sort of thing. Maybe, if I have to. Um, you see, it's not in our hearts sometimes. It's what we do, but we do it sometimes, maybe often, too often, reluctantly. We do it out of fear of punishment. We do it out of the fact that someday we will have to face God, and I better do something and try to make a good show of it. You see, God's the slave driver, and we resist his will because uh, a lot of what he wants, we don't want. Call a spade a spade. God is a demanding, controlling, and punishing God, forcing us upon us what we do not want to receive and what we do not want to do. And of course, there are a lot of people in this world, and, and I've, I've processed this a little bit, but a lot of people in this world who understand that that's what following Jesus is all about, and they look at this demanding, you know, uh, punishing God, and, and, and they say, enter into that relationship. I think not. I'll just step back. I'll leave that one alone. It's not what I want. And... You can understand it. Um, the master-slave relationship? No, thank you. Now, people think, and don't reject this too quickly, is there any part of that thinking at work in your life, in your mind, in your heart, in your soul? Any part of it? I want you to listen to, to a passage from John chapter 15. Uh, this is a passage in which Jesus starts the, 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 the discussion by talking about uh, the vine and the branches. It, it, he starts talking about us remaining in him, our living in him, abiding in him. And it talks about how he is the vine and we are the branch. And there's this organic connection between the two of us. There's this union in Christ, we spoke of it last week, which is real and powerful, which God has created. And he says, if you would abide in me, you know, you will produce much fruit. You, your lives will be very productive for me. Uh, he, he says, and it's part of the passage that we're going to read, I, I do believe, but if you pray anything in my name, I will, I will do it for you. There's this profound offer to enter into relationship with Jesus in such a way that God uses our lives in significant ways. So listen to this text, and I want you to listen for an identity that's wired into these verses. John 15, 9 to 17. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Here's what Jesus says to us about who we are in this passage. He says to us and to his disciples, you are my friends. You are my friends. My question for you today, how many here consider 
Jesus their friend? And how many believe that Jesus considers you his friend? Um, you know, you could look at the question and say, well, what does friendship mean? And you could sit back and you could make a list and you could say, well, my understanding is that friendship means that, you know, you like somebody and you tend to hang out with someone, you know, you help them when they're in need, you do things together, uh, you know, that, that, that you're loyal to one another and so forth. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to set aside our definition of friendship, and we're going to look into the text to figure out what Jesus is actually talking about, okay? And it's something that's absolutely critical when we study the Bible, and I hope you're studiers of the Bible, students of it, so that you'll really, really learn it well, both here and otherwise. But the basic point is this, that when we come to Scripture, we can't impose our definition of the terms upon it as much as allow the text to define the terms for us. And there are three things which are in these verses we're going to look at in which Jesus tells us what a friend is and how he is your friend and you are his. So the first is this. Um, Jesus says in verse 13 that a friend lays down their lives for their friends. Let's read read it together. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what friends do, he says. Um... Here's something I want to make absolutely clear. Out of love for you, Jesus has done that very thing already. Jesus has died for you. Um, Now, I want to tell you this, my friends. That doesn't exactly sound like a slave driver to me, does it? Um, Slave drivers don't care about or think about or act upon the interests of their slaves. They couldn't care less about the interests of their slaves They care about themselves and their own interests. But here, instead of slaves dying to serve the interests of masters, which so often happened, of course, here the master dies to serve the interest of the slave. You understand that? Jesus has died for us. He has laid down his life. He has entered into this experience of incredible sacrifice in order to bless us and to help us that we might be drawn to him that we might be forgiven of our sin, that we might be made the children of God, that we might come to this place in our lives where we are part of what God is doing in this world and he loves us and he is here for us and he is providing for us and he is caring for us. He is our friend and you are his. Is Jesus your friend? And are you a friend of Christ's? Second uh, definition of the word here comes to us in verse Uh, verse 14, um, and it says this, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, easily someone could step back here and say, well, there it is. See, there it is. There's the master-slave relationship. I'll be your friend, but only if you do what I tell you to do. You know, like I'm qualifying this people, and you must do exactly what I tell you, and if you don't, then you're not my friend. It could be so understood. But I want to ask you, uh, what does Jesus command us to do? Yeah, you have to go to the text and figure it out, not impose something upon it. What does Jesus command us to do? Love one another. Go to verse 17. It says it prior as well in this text. This is my command. Love each other. You're my friends if you love each other. Jesus was once asked, what's the greatest commandment? And probably a lot of you know the answer to the question. He said, number one, love God. Number two, love your neighbor. Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love this one who is revealing himself to you in me. Love me, he says. You know? 
And, th- and then he says, love your neighbor, and what follows after that is the sm- story of the Good Samaritan, the person who is other than the Jewish and hated by the Jewish people, and, 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 but it's the Good Samaritan who's the one who loves, right? And is used as that example, and he calls us to love people who are unlike us. <laughs> he calls us to love people whom we wouldn't normally love. He actually calls us in various places to love people who have wronged us and who harm us and who are our enemies and who hate us. He just says love, love. John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Lay your lives down for each other. These are my commandments. <laughs> this is the, the, the commandment Paul describes uh, in his writings, the, the commandment of Christ, it is to love. Um, so what we do, I would suggest to you, my friends, we do out of love for Jesus. Period. That's what he's talking about here. Our friend comes to us and he calls us to love and we, we love in everything. There is no dominating, punishing God who forces obedience upon people uh, who, who desire them to be motivated by fear of punishment. It's just not in the cards in the mind of Christ. It's not in the cards in Scripture. It's not to be part of our thinking at all. Even a sliver of it isn't intended to be there. You know, last week we talked about how we were children of God, how that is our identity, not just that we are a friend of God. And we talked about there is how, the, how there is no punishment for those who are in Christ. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation, Romans 8 says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. That all happened, and it's done because of Jesus going to the cross. There he took our condemnation. There he took our punishment, and we are now free of it. We are not slaves to sin or its penalty. We are free And I want to tell you this, my friends, if anyone here holds a slave perspective on their relationship with God, it is we who impose it. It is not the Bible who brings it to us. Verse uh, 15 brings us the third quality. Uh, And it says this, "I I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves, nor are you my friends. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. You're my friends because I've shared with you everything God the Father has shared with me. What's significant about that? Well, I'll tell you this. Slave owners in the Deep South wouldn't tell their slaves anything of significance about themselves, about their heart, about their purpose, about their dreams, about their goals. Um, they wouldn't confide in them. Uh, they wouldn't talk about their operation and explain things. Why bother? They're just slaves. Just do, do, do your job. Do what you're told. But here Jesus elevates these men he is with and gives them a dignity. And he tells, t- t- told them everything that God the Father had told him. Just as if they too were sons of God. Which of course they were. You know, the reality is Jesus has brought us into this relationship in which we have been united with the Father. We have, we have been united with Christ through the person of Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 again, we referred to it last week, talks about how we are with Christ in God. Let that blow your mind. We are with Christ. We are with the person of Jesus in the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are there. We are present. We have been united to Christ, and just as a vine and a branch has an organic connection, there is a deep unity between ourselves and the person of Jesus. We are one with him. And in that oneness, Jesus tells us everything that he knows, which has been communicated to him by his Father. 
and he invites us into a journey with him. Can I put it this way? God takes us into his confidence. <laughs> God has told us things. I, I want to make this point. I want you to hear it. God has told us things that he doesn't tell everyone. Do you know that? God has revealed things to you that he doesn't reveal to everyone. He has shared with you his secrets. you believe it? Matthew chapter 13, uh, Jesus has told the parable of the sower. And I, I love the parable. It's about four different types of soil into which seed is dropped or onto which seed is dropped. They represent four different types of hearts. Some, you know, hard-packed hearts and the word of God comes, but it can't penetrate. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't take hold in our lives. But on the other end, there's this one really good soil that has been prepared and the seed drops into the soil and it takes root and the roots grow down deep and the plant shoots up and it produces a crop. It is a fruitful plant. We're talking about the same thing here as in John 15, essentially. Um, and after Jesus tells this powerful parable, moving parable, deep, thoughtful parable, his disciples come and say, what do you what do you, I, could you tell us what you mean by that? And second to it, why do you talk in parables all the time? Like, can't you just say it? Can't you just tell us what you're, what you're really trying to say? Why all the stories? And this is how Jesus responds to them. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Ooh. Pause in awe. He's talking to his disciples, and he's saying, you have been permitted by the God of heaven to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Right? Not everybody gets told by Jesus the secret things of God. Next verse. To those who listen to my teaching, to those who are all open and receptive, more understanding will be given. It's like a curtain is pulled back and God just speaks his truth into their lives in profound and life-changing and joy-producing ways. And they will have an abundance of knowledge, but for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Hard-packed soil, if you would. This is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't, don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. It says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth. Whenever Jesus says that, it's time to sit up and listen. He says it quite a lot. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. I want to tell you, my friends, if you are someone who is in Christ and the God of heaven has revealed himself to you, and told you the secrets of heaven, you are blessed. You are so blessed. God has worked in your life, and he's brought you to this place, and he has shared with you the things, Christ has shared with you the things the Father has revealed to him. And you are blessed. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm no slave driver. 
I want nothing of that in my relationship with, with you. You might think you were a slave, but it's a false identity. Like, go ahead and believe it if you want. But it's not true. It's a lie of the devil. Um, and by the way, if, if that's how you want to think about me or my father, you can go ahead and do that too if you want, but it's, it's not true. It's not who I am. And this relationship that you believe to exist that doesn't exist if you're indeed in me, there's a new reality, there's a different reality, there's something that is in, incredibly different. There, so there is no fear of punishment that you need to engage. There, there, there is no, um, uh, you know, getting you, getting you to do things that, that, that you don't want, that sense of demand of, of, of something forced upon you that, that you wish to resist and fight against. It just doesn't exist in my heart for you. Instead, I'm inviting you into a relationship with me. I'm inviting you into a relationship with me uh, so that you do what you do, not because you have to, but because you want to. And if I could say this is the crux of the issue, because what Jesus is talking about here as he defines this relationship, not of master-slave, power broker to weak, oppressed one. He's talking about something that God does in the human soul every now and then. It's an absolute remarkable miracle called regeneration. We experience it as conversion. When God, by his spirit, comes and he breathes Life into our spirits. Breathe his spirit into our spirit. And we become one. We are united with him. And in that moment, we are changed. We are made new. We come to a place where we, we, are, we are so transformed by the person and the reality of the, the Holy Spirit of God that our hearts are no longer as they once were. He, he opens our eyes to see, and he reveals the secrets of the kingdom of God. And what we see is that God is a God of love, and that God comes along to us, and he wants to bless us with his truth and with his word. And he calls us to something wonderful that it produces joy in us. And he says, join me in this so that we can produce some fruit together. And in that moment, my friends, we come to a place, vine and branches united he living in us and us living in him. And we come to a place, my friends, where we literally want to do the things that God wants us to do. So that there is no need for a master who is demanding, forcing us to do his will. Instead of having to worship or to give or to serve or to live in a certain way, we are free, Jesus says, to love him as his friend to sacrifice our lives in his presence, to give to him, to care for him in so many ways when it comes to worship. <laughs> when it comes to worship, we don't have to come here on a Sunday morning. We don't do it at a minimum. We don't do it because it's an obligation. We want to get into the presence of the Lord Jesus who has revealed himself to us and whom we love deeply. Who, and we want to recognize again what he has done for us in freeing us from the power of sin and evil. And we want to thank him for who he is and for what he has done in our lives. And as a result, we, we run on a Sunday morning out of willingness and out of gladness and out of thankfulness into his presence. You know, a thought hit me in the first service that I can't say is just hitting me now, but I didn't know whether I should say it, but I'm going to because I said it then too. So I have to watch what you say when you're up here, right? When these thoughts come. 
<laughs> Occasionally, I wished I hadn't said some things. But here's the thought. If that's not why you come to worship, don't come. Because you're playing into an old paradigm that is rooted in your flesh. It's rooted in a, a human fallen nature that has nothing to do with the relationship that God desires for you. If you don't come here because you love him and you are thrilled with him and you find joy in his presence and all you want to do is say thank you, don't play that old game. Because he has no desire for you to play that old game. When it comes to you, uh, you know, spending time in his presence uh, daily, you know, you might hear that, well, I'm too busy for that, which just means I prioritize other things over that, right? Like, honestly, that's what it means. Um, you know, you, you can go and do it, but I don't think Jesus is particularly enthralled with the idea of you spending time with him because you have to and, and you're afraid of the punishment of the, of the slave driver. Because what this really is is opportunity for us to pick up this book, and I hope I say it over and over and over again, this is a miraculous thing. When we engage God in these words, God comes alive to us and he reveals himself to us and the secrets of the kingdom of God are opened up to us, that the curtain is pulled back and we are allowed to see things and hear things there in your home as hopefully it happens here on a Sunday morning. And we get to be with our Lord Jesus, the one whom we love. I think of Mary and Martha, you know, the visit that Jesus made to their home. He was a friend of theirs, and of course, their brother Lazarus. And like a good friend, he grieved his loss, and you know. But uh, Martha was running around. I don't know what her motivation was for getting that meal together and cleaning the house. (laughs) I fear it might have been a little bit of the master-slave relationship going on, but it doesn't say it. But I do know one thing. Mary, all she cared about was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. She wanted to be with him. Friends like to hang out. And she did. And she made it her preoccupation. And Jesus spoke the secrets of the kingdom of heaven into her mind and into her heart. And I bet you her life was changed that day. Should I say the same thing? That if you go to Jesus out of obligation and guilt or because you have to, you shouldn't bother? If it's going to break an old mold, it's an unbiblical and ungodly mold. Break the mold. But go to him because you love him and you want to be with him because you know he is your friend. He's told you that today. And because you are his friend in return. What about the idea of, of giving money to God? I mean, on a Sunday morning, do we, do we come here and do we give to God out of obligation? Oh, I'll have to, but just a little bit at a minimum. Or are our hearts so transformed and changed because God has opened our eyes that, that, our, that it is a great joy in our lives to be generous like Jesus? And all that remains is a, willing, a, 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 a desire, if possible, to do even more. That's what Jesus calls you to as his friend. And if there's anything other in your mind, just jettison it. Get rid of it. It is a lie of Satan. And it is not to be part of our perspective when we think about our relationship with God. But the idea of serving Jesus, you know, we, you know, children's ministry, we've got to tell Jesus about Jesus. Youth ministry, you know, we've got to build a youth ministry team. Hopefully we'll have a new youth pastor coming soon and, you know, build in. You know, we've got to, you know, got to, we, we got to get our life groups activated and serving in the community. But I like my life group. It's cozy, it's warm. I love people, they love me. I enjoy studying the Bible together with them and praying. But don't ask me to serve. Okay. The heart of Jesus is a heart of love. 
And it's a heart of love for God, and it's a heart of love for, yes, we who are the church, but it's a heart of love for people who are beyond us. And when the Good Samaritan saw brokenness, he ran toward it because he was illustrating, at least in the story that Jesus described, the heart of God. Love God and love your neighbor. That's my commandment to you. You see what I'm saying to you? We don't do things because we have to do them. We do them because God has transformed our hearts, our minds, our, our, our being. And, and the heart of Jesus has taken residence in us so that we start to do what he did. We start to live as he lived and we do so with joy and gladness because of him. And then just lastly, you know, we live morally. Why? Because something's enforced upon us that we don't want. <laughs> no, 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 my friends. That's, that's religion. That's a religion. You know, I hate that. I hate it. Because that understanding of religion keeps people from the truths of Christ and what he offers to us as friends. We don't do what we, ha we do morally because we have to do it. We do it because Christ in his being has settled into our being and that we are, he is divine and we are the branches. There is a unity that we find in him. We have been made one with Christ. And at the heart of those who have been transformed by God, at the deepest level is the desire to do what God wants to do. That's why we do what we do. We live out of our identity in Christ. I want to tell you, my friends, what I'm talking about is a radical reorientation of a human being by the Spirit of God when we come to him. And to those people, he, said, he says, you are my friends. Now live out of that identity. Bottom line, um, this one who is, and truth be told, he is our master, but he is a master who loves us with all of his heart. He is a master who offers us relationship with him in which we, like vine and branches, are organically unified. He has changed our hearts so that we love like him and we long for what he longs for. And these things which we do, we do freely and with joy living out of our deepest desires so today my friends can i ask you are you the friend of jesus that's an awesome question i'm going to answer it for you because jesus has already has whether you know it or not you are the friend of jesus you are that's who you are loved precious trusted, invited in to share his life, that his life might be lived through you. He is one who loves you, not one who uses you. Who He is one, not one who forces his will upon you or threatens to punish you, but invites us with promises of joy to be his. Friend of God? Yes. Make him your friend. Let's pray. Lord, we are born into this world with faulty thinking, broken hearts, lack of understanding, spiritual blindness. 
Yet by your incredible grace, at some point in time, for those of us who are in Christ, you have come. And by your Spirit, you have acted profoundly in making us new. We have said yes to you, and we have entered into a relationship which you call friendship. You call us friends. And you invite us, Lord, to live like friends of yours. Father, I pray for the people here who have lived with a master-slave paradigm in mind when they think of you. I pray, Lord God, that you will demolish that thinking and that they will reject it forever. And I pray, Lord, that you will move people to a true biblical understanding of who you are to them. And I pray, Lord, they'll enter into a relationship with you, maybe even because of what has been said today through your word, where they will recognize your love and, and your sacrifice on their behalf and your call to, to loving obedience. And Lord, the reality of you sharing the secrets of the kingdom of heaven with them, at, one of which is we become your, the children of God in you. God, draw people to this true understanding of our relationship with you and our true understanding of our identity. And then, Lord, help us never to live out of that old identity again, but only out of what you have spoken about who we are. Make this clear, Lord. Open our eyes that we might see, open our ears that we might hear, enlighten our minds, and help us to discover that life of friendship with Jesus that he promises makes us fruitful and which will bring us joy. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.